Hello and welcome to Norwich City Tactics Podcast with me, Sam. Today I'm joined by Adam as we go over Norwich's 1-0 win over Stoke City. Before the international break, Stoke had lost 2-0 at home to Preston North End. Alex Neal's side made three changes with midfielder Bay Jun Ho and defenders Michael Rose and Lyndon Gooch coming into the side. Setting up in a 4-1-4-1 in possession, Stoke initially ceded possession to Norwich in the opening exchanges. So Adam, what did Norwich do well in this opening phase? Um, well, Norwich were certainly a lot more on it than perhaps they were against Rotherham um, two weeks ago. Um, they, they were a lot more snappy in, in, in 50-50s. I think McLean and Sarah both won quite important 50-50s early on. But I have to say, as much as I think there was an element of Norwich being quite good in the opening minutes and even the first half of this game. There was a lot of it down to the fact that Stoke were just like really poor and uh, and quite lackadaisical in their in their pressing. There was numerous times where we managed to play out under very little pressure and build numerous attacks without too much trouble at all, which is in stark contrast to, to what we saw uh, in a couple of previous games. Yeah, and, and the fifth minute, I would say was a real example of this where Norwich from gun move a ball back to front in about four passes all under very little pressure it ends with Janulis crossing from the left to Fashner on the right um, side edge of the box he controls brilliantly with his left foot and then kind of sits up for a half volley doesn't quite catch it quite right hits it straight at keeper seems quite frustrated with himself maybe about the lack of power but yeah this opening spell also saw sort of moves which ended I think with efforts from Siren Rowe if I remember rightly and um, yeah that's something of a like regular theme early on in games I feel like Usually, you know, three, maybe four of our forward-thinking players have got shots off early in, in matches. They already started to build some pressure there. What were your thoughts on it, Sam? Yeah, I agree with you in terms of Stoke not pressing very well. Before this game, they had the second lowest PPDA in the league. And I think we've mentioned PPDA before in terms of it being passes uh, per defensive action. So it shows you how intense a press is from a side. And with Stoke being the second lowest at the league, in some ways it was that was could be defined as like the second strongest. Um, so to see them so weak and porous, allowing us to have really big spaces in possession, uh, I was really surprised by this. Um, I think Alex Neal, as we've seen from him as Norwich manager, and when he's managed previous sides such as Preston and Sunderland, they've always had quite a uh, aggressive press. Um, and to see that go so wrong in that opening 15 minutes was quite interesting, I thought. I think this is perhaps down to a couple of factors. Uh, one, Stoke did a lot of transfer activity. I think they were like one of the busiest sides. And I think the general feeling with Stoke from what I've heard and seen is that there's basically a lack of cohesion there at the moment, game to game. So there's been a couple of games where I think it's really clicked, but... Yeah, other games it quite hasn't worked out for them. Um, and this was obviously a case. And, and the other thing benefiting Norwich in this match, which I think is definitely worth pointing out, is that Stoke were missing their first choice fullbacks, uh, Hoover and Stevens, which was quite significant team news. Um, and I think like one of the key factors as to why Norwich were dominant in the first half of the match and winning it, um, especially as Larry, their right back for this game, was completely out of playing out of position and it certainly showed he he had an absolute shocker 
Um, certainly uh, um, in in the first half, there was like a couple of occasions where Stoke were trying to build out through him on the right and the ball just went under his foot and out for a throw in. Rowe gave him quite a tough time, certainly in the first 20 minutes. And I think that even ended with a booking and sort of generally I feel a little bit disappointed that Rowe maybe didn't go at Larry a little bit more after that booking. But yeah, generally I think Stoke were a little bit hampered by injuries coming into this and just sort of a general lack of, of team cohesion. And I think that really, we really saw that in the first half and, and Norwich thankfully were able to exploit it, but perhaps didn't exploit it as much as they could have done. Yeah, I, I thought I'd noticed that um, Rowe and Fashnacht were coming into the halfways quite a lot, so into the more central areas. And actually, that meant that Rowe wasn't always 1v1 with Larry. But yeah, the best move for me came in the 14th minute, which was the Sarah chip ball to Yunulis. And he plays this really exquisite first-time volley cross uh, across the box. And I think Barnes is so close to getting that. Um, obviously, it's a difficult shot to connect with, and, and Barnes doesn't get a touch on it because of the nature of the bounce. But Yunulis does so well to get it past the blocker. Because even when you're trying to get a cross in on the floor, um, whether that's a ground cross or an aerial cross, I think to beat that first blocker is is pretty difficult. But the fact that he had to execute that on a volley uh, and still get it into a really dangerous area um, was another really good example of, of his technical prowess. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, that that was probably the closest we, we came to scoring in, in, in that first 15 minutes, which overall was, was pretty promising. And yeah, as we've said, Stoke really didn't offer much. And like the couple of times that we were perhaps a little bit more sloppy, the danger was uh, snuffed out pretty quickly. No? Yeah, I still think there wasn't a huge, uh, a huge chance. Actually, I didn't. Um, I know obviously Barnes was pretty close, but I don't. Think when we think of uh, you know an xG chance around the the zero point four or zero point five numerical value, we didn't really get that uh, over the course of that opening sort of twenty or thirty minutes which was a little bit frustrating. I felt that Stoke maybe grew into the game a little bit more. It did feel like some of our build-up play after 20 minutes was a little bit more staggered. Uh, I think they were pressing in a similar shape to Rotherham, which was in a 4-1-3-2. And actually, I think as the half went on, the space decreased. And I think that's when you saw uh, Sarah and some of our more forward players struggle a little bit more in possession. Yeah, I think generally, though, Stoke just didn't offer very much at all first half like on the ball there was no real cohesion to their play as, as we've already mentioned the reasons for that so you know Norwich perhaps were were quite fortunate that yeah like I say Stoke certainly weren't weren't on it in this first half um, one element that I'd would like to sort of mention again was between 20 and 30 minutes Ida had a really good spell in the game I felt like we didn't take enough advantage of where he he kept dropping into sort of the center circle area and, and helped start various promising moves with good balls out wide but then maybe like the cross would would let that move down or, or a bad touch so yeah again I'm kind of coming in here with a with a slight defense of Adam Edith because again I saw him criticized uh, after this game and again I thought it was quite harsh I thought he was kind of more effective than Barnes linking up the play in the hour that he was on the pitch like a couple of the chances that he had in this first half he didn't quite hit with with much conviction I felt um, if, I, if I am to have a criticism of him yeah not ideal um, in terms of his finishing but in terms of his sort of general play, I thought he was pretty good again. 
um, as, as he was against Rotherham. That brings me on to sort of a more general point where I think a lot of there's been like a lot of talk about the loss of Josh Sargent to this Norwich team. But it feels like we've not just lost maybe one player, we've lost two. And by that, I mean Barnes has just been so much less effective. Well, he's been ineffective, really, in these last two games without Sargent there. And I find it quite interesting because one of the themes of pre-season was pretty much any time you put Barnes in front of a camera, in front of an audience, he would massively big up Josh Sargent. Like, he obviously very much believed in that partnership from, from the get-go, really. And he really believed in Josh Sargent. And he, for whatever reason, he felt like he could really click with him. And uh, yeah, it's quite noticeable by its absence that he, that he hasn't made those any similar comments like that to about Adam Eder. Things just don't seem to be clicking between the two of them. Just wondering if you had any thoughts on that, Sam. Yeah, I definitely think there is a lack of chemistry. Um, to be honest, I think Barnes has really struggled in the past couple of games on the ball. Uh, it seems to me that he's slowing down the play a lot. So sometimes he'll be found in like a central position, you know, when he's come to pick the ball up from the the centre backs, or he finds himself in the in the centre spot, but actually a lot of the times he doesn't progress play. Um, I can't give you a time for when it happened, but I remember at some point he picks up the ball and he's in a lot of space, and instead of um, turning on the ball and moving up field, I think he's pressed a little bit by Ben Pearson, the Stoke holding midfielder, uh, instead of kind of looking up and staying composed, he decides to go back to Gibson which again just stops any sort of flow, any sort of momentum and, and prevents Norwich from creating any any sort of combination play. And I, I was getting a bit frustrated with him against Rotherham when he was dispossessed a lot and he would lose the ball. And he didn't do that as much uh, against Stoke. But there was definitely a sense of him slowing down the play and preventing Norwich from dominating uh, possession. They probably had slightly more of the ball than Stoke, but I think as the half went on, um, and then actually as the game went on and leading into the second half, there was definitely like a sense of they'd lost all purpose and flow um, in terms of possession. There was just a real lack of identity. But what I was also going to say about Ida, I think we'd we'd talked a little bit before about how he's a bit of a confidence player. And I feel that chance uh, that you might have mentioned where he hits it straight at Travers is perhaps a good example of that. Because even though he had some bright moments in possession in the in the first half, it was that uh, chance at around 40 minutes, which just felt like after that, his performance started to plateau a little bit and he his head went down a little bit. His body language slightly changed and he wasn't really able to affect the game like he, he possibly could have done. It's actually through Duffy that he gets the ball. Um, Duffy had joined the attack within the 40th minute. Um, and I think it's a long pass from McLean, which Stacey manages to get to. It looks like it's going out to play, but he hooks it back in. Uh, and Duffy, who I think he'd already joined the the attack, and kind of moved up the field in in what felt a bit like a freak event. Like it's something that obviously wasn't planned and was purely down to the individual. But Duffy finds himself in the box and actually shows really nice calmness and composure because he actually sees uh, sees Ida manages to play to him and. The technique from Ida is, is pretty poor. When he does hit it, he hits it first time, which is which is good, which is what you want your centre-forward to do. But the shot comes off more of his heel. He loses balance, which obviously affects his technique. Um, he doesn't get over the ball either. So even though he's set, and even though he should be able to make a really good execution of the ball, he ends up hitting it straight at Travers, where I think a Josh Sargent in that situation scores. Yeah, maybe. Although I would say that there isn't like a huge gap between those two players 
in terms of their finishing. I think what Sargent really offers more than Ida does is general powerful forward running and and obviously he's he's a lot better at like pressing the opposition than than Ida is but yeah um Sargent offers a much more sort of physical um all-round presence and he's and he's pacier as well I think there, there was a couple of times in this first half where I thought well if Sargent's on the end of that I think he might he might get there so but like I say, if you're going to pick out a, a forward to criticise from this game, I, I wouldn't necessarily be be uh, focusing on on Adam either. Um, just going back to your point of, about Duffy, I really enjoyed him <laughs> joining the attack on this one, and it came at the end of like an excellent ten minutes they had. So I I, I just think that he was like high on confidence. There there was uh, he was having a bit of a duel with their South Korean forward Bae John Ho. Duffy was basically winning every duel against him, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, the, the last of these, uh, which was like quite a strong tackle on him, yeah, he just then charged up the field and and joined the Norwich attack, and then yeah, didn't go back for another minute, which obviously ended with with the either chance that we're, we're we're talking about, but yeah, just in terms of how this chance came about, obviously not the players involved, but it does seem like a very trademark move uh, under David Wagner, this kind of McLean or Sara or Nunez when he's been on the pitch will play like a long diagonal ball out to a fullback. The fullback needs to basically be sprinting to keep the ball in to pull it back and then find uh, either one or two players in the box to help finish the move off. So that's certainly something to generally watch about uh, this David Wagner Norwich side. And a good example of how important the fullbacks are. Um, and how they're given license to make runs into the box. I think we've talked about a bit before about how with Fashion Act and Rowan, they take the opponent fullbacks away. That allows then Yunulis or Stacey, because Yunulis and Stacey have been the, the fullbacks that have started these um, these league games. That's allowed them to make runs into the box. And I think Stacey's maybe been found a bit more than Yunulis. Um, so hopefully, yeah, something over the course of the um, the rest of the season that we see Passes from the Norwich's right-hand side going over to the left in terms of that switch of play. And it's Yunulis that's found in the box um, and rather than Stacey. That just comes from the fact, you know, um, our midfielders, there's a, there's a strong left foot bias there, isn't there? So naturally, that's, that's going to occur. So Ben Gibson had a bit of an ongoing battle uh, during the first half with Wesley, uh, Stokes, South American striker. How did you think he, he got on? Uh, against Wesley. I know we've seen him struggle a little bit against physical strikers before in terms of Liam Delap on the opening day of the season for Hull. But um, yeah, how, how did Gibson do against against Wesley? Well, yeah, this was a big improvement for me and, and it was quite a key battle that I think you can say that he probably won overall. Wesley, by the end of the time that he'd gone off, I think felt a bit frustrated. And I did notice that uh, David Wagner said today in his Leicester pre-match conference that he felt it was Gibson's best game for Norwich since he came in, which I found interesting. But yeah, obviously there was a flashpoint where there's a ball into the box and on first viewing it does look like Gibson has pulled Wesley to the ground. And I have to say, when I first saw it, I thought penalty and I thought we were lucky to get away with it. But then when you look on the replay, it does look like Wesley's got hold of Gibson's shirt as much as Gibson's got hold of of Wesley's shirt so I think that might have been a pretty decent call from the ref really and I noticed that in quite a few of the duels that was going on I think they both had as much 
of each other's shirt than the other. So I think maybe you could say that Gibson has learned from the awkward experience he, he had against uh, Liam Delap in, in the opening game. He seemed to get a bit tighter to him and uh, and be a bit more stronger in the duels than he was in the opening day battle he had. Uh, what are your thoughts on it? He did fairly well. For me, I think it was a draw in terms of that battle. I know you sort of said Gibson won it, but I think there were a couple of times, uh, especially at the beginning of the game, where the referee let some of their duels go a little bit, even though I felt Gibson was fouling Wesley more than the other way around. But he definitely did get a little bit better or a little bit more in control of that situation, Ben Gibson. And I think that did lead to Wesley being substituted in the second half. I'm not quite sure of his fitness levels, Wesley. There seemed to be less of those interactions over the course of the game into the second half. So it's perhaps why he was he was taken off and uh, Tyrese Campbell was moved into Wesley's position. I think maybe it went a bit under shadow that battle because of how well Duffy was playing. Um, you mentioned previously he had this really sort of 10 or 15 minute purple patch. Uh, but there were some really good defensive actions within his own box. Um, there was a couple of tackles where he really prevented a shot or he, he prevented a counter-attack. I do, I do remember he got a really important block in on a Lyndon Gooch chance. That was a bit, uh, I think that was Stokes' only real chance in sort of the opening 30 minutes, if I remember rightly. And he got an excellent block in there. The reason why that block was so good was his body position. Because I think he seemed to be really stable and really composed. And because Gooch was approaching him, he could have gone and dived in, which would have led to Gooch taking him on. But he was quite reactive, Duffy, but he was able to make himself big. And it just seemed like a really intelligent piece of defending. You might have got another centre-back who have charged out and um, and made his body shape smaller or, you know, could have been dribbled past. So, yeah, it was at a really crucial moment in the game and encapsulated how well he did over the course of the 90 minutes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so if we uh, maybe move on to the highlight of the of the first half and the Norwich goal, uh, I know that you've got a few comments about this goal that you want to mention. Yeah, well, it's good that we were just talking about Duffy because it's actually Duffy's reading of the game uh, that starts the move that leads to the goal. Because uh, it's a pass uh, from Laurent that he's trying to find Bajan Ho. And Duffy just steps in. Um, and he looks so calm, it's almost like he's seen the pass before it happens. Uh, and after that, it's passed to Sarah, who then knocks it to Fashnacht a bit further up the pitch. And because uh, Jun Ho, the South Korean player for Stoke, is their left winger, it means that Stacey and uh, Fashnacht basically have a 2v1. Uh, versus Lyndon Gooch, uh, Stokes' left-back. Um, and actually, what should happen is that uh, Stacey makes a really nice movement in towards the box. Um, and even though by this point, um, the Stokes' central midfielder, Berger, has basically gone to close down uh, Fashnack, uh, Fashnack could actually just, instead of crossing, just pass it into Stacey, who probably have a shot on target because he's in lots of space. The cross from Fashnack is pretty good anyway, actually. It's into a really good area, and it's so precise that that allows Rowe to get first contact. So even though uh, Lurie gets back and um, and blocks the header from Rowe, um, it's because of that deflection that it that it falls to Stacey, who obviously has continued his movement into the box and um, and he just gets on it. I think it's obviously a really difficult finish because he's having to to basically like dive for the ball with his with his right foot. Um, he's a kind of at full stretch just to reach it, but it's almost good in a way because uh, Mark Travers, the Stoke goalkeeper, has kind of spread himself so well. That, uh, that a low shot at this point, or a shot that's kind of hit straight on the volley, goes straight into Travers. But because Stacey's reaching for it so much, and because he has to get there and make a bit of a scuff finish, that means that the ball bounces over Travers. Uh, so yeah, it looked like a pretty scruffy goal. But it was quite nice how the move started with Duffy and ended with Stacey. 
Yeah, I think naturally in that attack, you would see Stacey go on the overlap to Fashion Lap, but there wasn't the space to do that. So Stacey thinks, right, okay, well, I can't go on the overlap. I better get myself into the box. And luckily he's there, right place, right time. This won't go down as a John Rowe assist, but because he kind of heads it onto the uh, Stoke defender. But in, in a way, I think John Rowe deserves a lot of credit here. And it's a good assist for me, as you see. So in terms of him winning that uh, battle when he was under a lot of pressure to win that ball. And I wouldn't say that he was favourite for it. Yeah, but it was after that that um, actually Stoke nearly equalised. It was by far their best chance of the uh, of the first half. How would you break down that move that led to led to Campbell's shot? Yeah, interestingly, it starts with uh, Wesley winning a free kick off Gibson. Um, so this time Wesley has very much won the draw. And from that free kick, Stoke construct a move under very little pressure from us because we've dropped quite deep and yeah they float a ball into a box it's an easy win for Berger up against Barnes and it's touched down to Campbell who drills it just wide one thing which I found really interesting on this was the reaction of Duffy who seems to be screaming not at Barnes who lost the battle with Berger but he seemed to be screaming maybe at Stacy. Or, or fashion up to his right. I don't know if you saw that in the ground or have a perspective on, on why that was. Couldn't quite work it out, to be honest. I wasn't quite sure either. I don't know whether that was a message that Duffy had been trying to communicate previously um, and it was something to do with another phase of the game or it's something that happened just before that that cross or free kick. I did actually like the... I think, I think it was the, the three Norwich players that tried to block that shot from Campbell, though, which was uh, Duffy, Barnes and McLean, I think. What was quite good was they managed to block the whole surface area of where a shot could go. So even though it looks like it should be on target, that shot, I think because you've got three Norwich players kind of throwing themselves towards the ball or, like, or throwing themselves in the area where they think the shot is going to go, that might mean that's why Campbell shoots slightly to the right. Because it's obviously very hard to break down such an instinctive action like that. But I do think that Campbell might be put off a little bit. You never really know with these things. It could hit a body and go in. But maybe that just did enough for Campbell to, to miss, the, miss the target. Yeah, yeah. I think generally at half-time, I think everyone would agree that Norwich were the far superior side in, in the first half. Uh, deserved the lead. But second half, it was kind of a different story. And it really started quite early on in the second half, no, where Stoke just were a lot more sort of snappier than they were in the in the, in the first half. A lot better organised out of possession, I thought, as well. Yeah, I think the tone was set a little bit in the 50th minute where Sarah gets caught by Laurent. Uh, it almost felt like during the second half, Alex Neal had tried to be a little bit more forceful and said it'd been too easy for Norwich to build up and play out because yeah within that first five minutes Sarah is is too lax on the ball and I think it's a sliding tackle from Laurent that wins the ball back and, and causes a transition but yeah I think um in the 54th minute that leads to quite a good Stoke chance because uh it's a cross into the box and uh, Torres Campbell gets the wrong side of Unulis. I think we already know that one of Unulis's weakest parts of his game is defending crosses uh, he hasn't really got the height and he hasn't really got the physicality in aerial duels. And with Campbell just peeling round the back of him a little bit, uh, that means that he's able to to get up. You know, just can't see him. He's able to get a good contact. And at first, it looked quite a difficult chance. But on the replay, you can see there's quite a little bit of distance in terms of their, their heads. 
So it should be a, a clean header from uh, from Campbell on goal. The fact that it skews off his head a little bit means that he hasn't got a very good technique. And um, it's one of Stoke's best chances of the whole game. Yeah, and then on around the hour mark, there's substitutions. What's interesting here is that when I first saw that Norwich were about to make the substitutions, I was like, please don't be the usual ones that, that we've seen. And I've criticized on this podcast and was kind of interesting that uh Wagner did do like something a little bit different here what did you make of Bruschetta coming on at at left back for Janoulis I've seen that part of the reason why is because Janoulis said that he felt something in his hamstring but apparently he's fine he's fine now that was just in the moment but he's he's going to be fit for the Leicester game but I wondered at the time whether it was partly to do with the fact that he was on a on a yellow card and also uh it was um, an opportunity for Pochetta to maybe get at their right back which who was on a yellow card as well yeah definitely I felt um it was all those things really obviously you knew this has been away with Greece over the international period, and players always come back a little bit fatigued. Uh, so I'm sure that was going through David Wagner's mind during halftime. He knew at some point that Unilis would be would be coming off. I mean, Plachetta as well, he's obviously a converted left winger. So he's just slotted into that left-back role. We've seen him play that position at QPR away in the, in the League Cup. And even though I was a little bit worried what he'd be like off the ball, uh, on the ball, he was pretty good. Uh, it was around this time as well that Stoke made a couple of changes. Uh, and with Plachetta on the left, he seemed to be very direct and vertical. So there were a couple of times where he just had a couple of yards of space and he was able to yeah, just push the ball uh, forward and then whip across into the box. The crosses were a bit mixed. I think there were three overall. Uh, one was pretty poor because it's clearly meant to be an aerial cross. It doesn't get any sort of like height or trajectory and it just gets cleared. But there's one... I think a little bit later in the game, where it's a nice ground cross, where he's trying to whip it round the defence, and it's um, it's Travers that has to come out and beats the ball away. Uh, so yeah, we obviously know that Pochetta's final ball, his crossing, his his passes into the box can be pretty inconsistent. And I'd say overall, that's another example of this. But yeah, I feel like around this time with the subs, there was a little bit more intensity and a bit more of a successful press as well. One of the things we heard about Hawang, uh, who's on loan from Nottingham Forest, was that he loves the press and he's really good off the ball and really good at helping his team out of possession. And I think we saw that a little bit. I think within like a minute of Hawang coming on, uh, it's thanks to his press that leads to Travers um, hitting the ball out of play. It's a really poor piece of distribution that means that Norwich are able to win a throw and win the ball back. And it's all thanks to, yeah, Hwang's, um intensity and, and the fact that, yeah, he really wanted to put in as many sprints as possible, even in that early period. So I think the subs around this time were pretty successful. I don't think they lasted, especially um, as we'll get on to how, how Norwich became deeper and deeper in the second half. But yeah, even Hernandez coming on as well, I think really helped. That was um, a substitute for, for Rowe uh, in the 70th minute. But actually, you've got uh, Plachetta, Hernandez and Hwang over that sort of 10-minute spell, even though Plachetta and Hernandez have, have difficulties on the ball in terms of their, their intensity off it, then um, then yeah, overall, I think that Norwich managed to combat Stoke a little bit during this period, and it, it gave them a bit of freshness over, over this phase of the game. Yeah, I would agree with that. My, my one worry with Wang was that I do see what you mean, like, in terms of his pressing when the play was in front of him. When the ball went to the other side, and especially late on, a couple of the Stoke 
more dangerous attacks in that in that late period. There was times where he was far too reactive to a to a situation, and he he didn't like sprint back quick enough for me. You could tell that he sees the danger a little bit too late. There was one instance where you can see that he almost like panics in his mind. He's like, oh shit, oh shit. I should be uh, sprinting and covering that space now, which we're giving him a free pass on, I think, because ultimately, you know, he's only been in the building a few days, so he isn't fully up to speed with everything that Wagner wants from him, I'm sure. So, But yeah, I think there was some promising, a couple of promising moments from him, but I mean, he probably had less than 10 touches when he was on the field, so it's very... Very difficult to judge judge his performance in, in, in this game. And my overall feeling from this second half, which even on the rewatch, I didn't have like tons of notes to make on it. I, I just found it like very surprising how deep we sat and quite early in, in, in the second half. Uh, and I don't know what your thoughts on that, on, on that was and, and maybe why that was. For me, I didn't really see it until later in the game. Um, and I do think because of those substitutions between the, the sort of 60th and 75th minute, I do think there was more of an intensity and there was more of a, a purpose in terms of, of how Norwich like, press off the ball. I definitely think in the last 10 minutes, that's when Norwich started to get too deep. And I think that was down to an overall amount of tiredness. But actually, to back up your thoughts and, and your opinion on that, I think Wagner said a similar thing in terms of that he felt They'd really um, over-exuded themselves in the first half, Norwich. And there was almost too much running. There was too much sprinting off the ball. Um, And that led to an overall fatigue and kind of a collective tiredness in the second half, which which meant that there were kind of bad decisions made. And and yeah, the game did become perhaps a bit too stretched. More of my concern wasn't really with the fatigue or in terms of us getting too deep. It was with Norwich on the ball. To be honest, I think there were like too many decisions by individuals, which did slow the play down. I think earlier in the podcast, I mentioned Barnes, but even Sarah, who's our key in possession, who's our catalyst for all the best combination play, even he lost the ball a couple of times. There was a nice little flick to Rowe, a really nice piece of skill, which, which no one else in the Norwich team would produce. But he did lose the ball a little bit cheaply. And I know we expect really big things from him because he's such a talented player. But I do think this was like another game where if he's not at a, at a high level in possession, then it just doesn't seem that the the rest of the team are. I don't know whether you what you thought of his performance with the ball in uh, over the course of the game. Yeah, I think maybe a bit similar to Rotherham, where it's quite quite mixed. I don't, I don't think he's hitting the standards of August, but he did set some very high standards in August, and he deservedly won the the EFL uh, Championship Player of the Month. Interestingly, he didn't win the Norwich version of that. <laughs> Johnny Rowe did, but um, with Sarah, like I, I found it interesting in August how many. Fans wanted to say, oh, he's even better than Buendia was for us. But obviously, different players, different positions and all that. But the thing with Buendia is, was his consistency, especially at championship level for us. I mean, he would barely drop under eight or nine out of ten every week. And his intensity would, would never drop. With Sara, I feel like within games, his intensity can drop off a bit for periods and it would feel like he's gone missing a little bit that's my one frustration with him at times I'm kind of hopeful that maybe we're going to see the best of him against uh, against Leicester on, on Wednesday night we're going to need him 
to be at his best anyway, I think, to to get a result in that one. Yeah, let's hope he's he's saving himself for that. I think a couple of things as the game went on that did frustrate me a little bit was was Gunn in his own penalty box. I know that we can think of Angus Gunn as a really good shot stopper, but in terms of his claiming an almost equally important part of goalkeeping, I thought it was pretty poor. There was a short corner uh, that Stoke had in the 70th minute and there was no one near Pearson, so uh, and Pearson was the one who put it into the box. He wasn't the corner taker. But there was a little bit of confusion there. I think um, Sarah and Placetta were zonal marking the same spot. So I don't know whether it was one of them's job to go out and try and block the cross from Pearson. But anyway, it's a really slow, floated ball towards the back post. I just think it's one that Gunn should claim. He just stays on his line, and it's Rose who's able to get a run on Fashnak and get a header on goal. Again, it's a pretty good chance, a little bit like the Campbell header earlier in the half. I think it's actually one that could that could have gone in. And yeah, just a really poor piece of uh, defending by Norwich. But um, yeah, especially Gunn. There's also another claim that arguably he should have come for. I'm a little bit more ambivalent on this one because I think it's a cross in from a free kick. And there's it's really flat and low, really nice, really nice free kick, really dangerous one from Stoke. But he doesn't come and claim it again, even though... It's pretty much right on the six-yard box. Uh, it goes straight through and um, and out for a goal kick. But you can see Ben Gibson's absolutely furious at Gunn for not coming to claim it. Uh, and I do think he is slightly reactive in these situations. I think, obviously, if Gunn wants to become like a, a really top goalkeeper, that's an area of game that he, he needs to improve. Yeah, so shortly after that, we see Norwich make a couple more subs. Again, these are typical ones we've seen, I would say, in, in more recent games. So spring it. And Gibbs both come on, this time for Fashnet and Barnes. Against Rotherham, Gibbs came on in sort of an advanced role because we're chasing the game. Here, he, he doesn't he very much become sort of a, a midfielder for me. And uh, I think Wagner described it as a switch to a 4-5-1 in his, in his post-match conference as well. So very much Norwich trying to protect the lead and going into this last spell of the game. In terms of a result, it worked. In terms of... <laughs> Like whether uh, we got away with one or not, I mean, it feels like one of those. I, th- I think we probably did get a little bit lucky, you know, in in this in this last few minutes of the game. Yeah, definitely. And I think I don't think that was a particularly good sub from Wagner, but also I'm a little bit sympathetic because I don't quite know who he could have brought on in that period because Barnes was absolutely exhausted, Fastnacked was absolutely exhausted. Fastnacked had already picked up a yellow card. He put in a dreadful tackle on the um, on Stokes' left winger, I think, and that was just a sign that he was absolutely spent. But yeah, we basically looked like it went to a to a four five one with Gibbs like the furthest forward midfielder, and then Sarah and McLean were just basically sitting. But with Hawang playing up on his own, he was really really isolated. And I remember there was um, a long ball from Gunn, which is or a long ball from uh, one of the centre backs, which is what you frequently saw as, as Norris were trying to see out the game. Actually, Hawang did quite well to win it in the air, but there's actually no one near him, so Stoke ended up picking up the ball. It just felt a bit lazy and, and ill-thought-out, really, and it just would have been a better instruction for Gibbs to go closer to Hawang for goal kicks or set pieces or long balls, because this just felt like a way that we were just throwing possession back to Stoke and they were building and, and gaining momentum. Yeah, I just didn't think the game management was was good at all. Uh, and I think um, a way to, to show that is is when Norwich won the ball back. There were a couple of attacks where they either didn't take to the corner or they could have created a chance and they, they didn't do either, really. Yeah, for me, the two examples in injury time were a bit shocking. 
Bromas in terms of game management, maybe on the Wang one, is a little bit more understandable that he's gone for a shot, partly because he's obviously like trying to make an impression as a striker, right? I can forgive him that one a little bit, although a player of his experience, I was maybe a little bit surprised that he just doesn't head for the corner in that instance. But the shocking one for me was the one on the other side, spring it. At that point, it was definitely a case that you got to run it to the corner. And instead, he takes it into the box and then plays a cutback. But he doesn't look where he's playing the cutback. So it just doesn't go to anyone. I mean, apart from a Stoke player. And then from that, they they build a counterattack. And I think that eventually leads to, to their big chances. And it was around this time that Norwich did start to concede more chances. I think there was a little bit earlier on from that, there was a shot from Berger in the box and it's straight at Gunn's chest. But that was one where he'd basically, Berger had run off McLean, Sarah and Gibbs. You can see it um, in the replay that he pretty much runs past the three of them. I don't think any of them are, are sure whether to pick him up or who's meant to be doing that role. Um, but yeah, it's thanks to a kind of a suboptimal touch or a fairly average touch from from Berger, and Duffy does well a little bit just to shape his body, which means that he has to hit the ball towards Gunn, and it's a pretty weak contact, so it just hits Gunn's chest, and then Duffy's able to smuggle it back to back to Gunn, and they, they get away with it. That compounded with the fact that the Hwang shot, where he should have done a lot better with the spring it cutback, it just all felt a little bit chaotic and disastrous at this point. There just wasn't, wasn't a lot of smart play out there, but I think we can get on to Stokes' best chance, which was in the 96th minute, literally the last action of the game. Yeah, I don't quite know how they didn't uh, didn't equalise. I don't know if you wanted to to break down that move a little bit. Well, it was it was pretty chaotic. No, um, I think it goes back to what you were saying earlier on about just Norwich being very tired, and like there there was like a lot of sort of tired actions. I would say. Leading, leading up to this. Um, Johnson makes a run off Sarah's blind side, gets a cross pass. Duffy, Gibson loses balance. McLean putting his foot in puts Gale off, luckily. Then I think it's Habsa Kanovic. He, he's on the end of the cross, but he basically struggles to get sort of any power and direction on a header and, and yeah, places it right at gun. Yeah, it just feels like after Duffy and Gibson had, had both two really solid games, it felt like two slightly individual errors for them. I mean, obviously the big error for me in that defensive shape is Johnson making that run off Sarah. I mean, it is difficult in the 96th minute when Sarah must be absolutely exhausted by this point. And it is just easy to miss uh, like a run off, off the back of your shoulder. Um, but he does get in and Duffy does, like he goes to ground a little bit. I think he tries to make his body bigger just to block the cross. Uh, but he's unable to do that. And then Gibson's actually got good awareness in the, in the box because he's marking Dwight Gale. But then he goes to the ball to try and cut it out and he almost falls over the ball. It's a really weird piece of play. Um, and yeah, I don't know whether he's just slightly off balance or there's not really much of a, of a duel or any sort of um, scenario between him and Gale. But he just falls over uh, and then I think he just hits Gale. He doesn't even take a first touch. It just hits his shins. And I don't know how he misses the ball. As you uh, alluded to, McLean does something where I think he puts his right foot like towards Gale and Gale must be aware of this and think that it's going to he's going to somehow like disrupt or block or tackle him but yeah he just does enough because then Gale misses it I mean he shouldn't do he shouldn't he should he should score basically from that from that position but yeah he he just completely misses it and but yeah even and even after that as you mentioned I think Plachetta tries to clear it it goes to the Stoke player in the box and he managed to loop all back in and 
it's a really difficult header for Laurent. It's obviously straight at gun. But yeah, because he's having to move backwards and he can't get any power on the ball because it's so loopy. Uh, but if he got maybe a little bit of direction on it, if he heads it towards the to gun's left, then it might cause him a bit of trouble. But thankfully, Placetta does enough in the duel, uh, which means that he can't get any purchase or power on the header. But yeah, it just felt so chaotic and, and so stressful in the stadium. No, uh, not not a tactical point at all, but um, just from my perspective and maybe a sign of how things have changed this season compared to last, just ju- by judging it on the audio that I had uh, via iFollow and Radio Norfolk, I was quite impressed still, like the fans really did stay with the team in the second half, despite it not being a particularly inspiring second half performance. So that that was good to see that the I think one of those where maybe you can say the fans helped the, the team across the line. So overall, Adam, uh, was there anything that stood out for you on a, on a tactical or individual level across the across the ninety minutes? If I was to create sort of a podium of Norwich performances in this game, I'd have maybe Fashnat uh, in bronze position, Duffy uh, silver, and then you probably have to give McLean the gold medal for for his performance in in this game. He was one of the few that didn't seem to tire late on, and I think he set the tone more than anyone in that opening spell as well, which is great to see, especially given that we've given him another new contract, uh, his second one within within a year, which I found quite an interesting uh, decision. But obviously, you know, within the club, he's seen as such a huge character and I've been very critical of him, I would say, especially at a lot of times last season. But I did reel back a little bit on my criticism when he was out that team towards the end of the season, where I think that maybe we saw he's worth more when he wasn't there. And yeah, this game, yeah, he he was he was basically pretty perfect in in nearly every phase of play. I thought, yeah, very impressive performance. One of it, one of his best, probably his best so far this season. I'll go slightly beyond that. I think it's probably one of his best ever, to be honest. Um, yeah, it was kind of remiss of us up until this point that we didn't really mention him. Because throughout the first and second half, the individual actions that he does are, are incredible. The whole the whole of the 90 minutes is littered with him doing absolutely brilliant stuff. Just picking a couple of things out, there's like a control that he makes in the 69th minute, which is like an elite level one where I think Barnes is trying to pass it across the pitch. And he absolutely smashes it at McLean and he's able to take a really nice touch and bring it down and keep possession. Um, there's a, count, a couple of counter-attacks that he breaks up in the first half, which showed his like intelligence and composure and being in the right position. There's a couple of really nice long passes, which are technically really good, and he's able to bring other players into, into play. He makes a couple of tackles where he wins the ball back. I've kind of mentioned before the importance of not only making a tackle, but like retaining the ball and then creating a transition or creating a counter-attack. He did that two or three times over the course of the game. It was pretty special, and yeah, obviously, we know that he struggled in the Premier League. That's probably not his level. But if you looked at this performance in isolation, it is one of a Premier League player. I mean, obviously, I don't know whether that will mean that he, he plateaus over a certain period. We know that he hasn't always been super consistent. But I think it's maybe of a stretch to say that we wouldn't have won it without him. But I definitely think he impacted this this game the most as a Norwich player. For me, overall, I think probably one of Norwich's slightly poorer games. And I think... It's okay if you're going to look like a team that is going to win 1-0 or keep it tight over the course of the season. But I do think that it's not really the identity that we've got used to um, under Wagner, especially 
in August where it felt like there was much more cohesion and much more of an attacking plan. I think, as I've said before, the combination play was pretty poor uh, over the course of the game. And I do think we looked a lot less fluid, uh, which is slightly worrying. There seems to be more, more of a move to crossing situations in recent games, leading to less creativity in the central space around the 18-yard box. I mean, I think James mentioned in the previous podcast how when you're crossing the ball constantly, it can be very inconsistent. Yeah, so a bit of a concern for me. I mean, definitely didn't deserve to lose against Rotherham. Probably didn't deserve to win this game. There were there were problems on a on an individual and collective basis, but um, hopefully we can just put that down to it being an international break and um, and yeah, Norwich trying to find their their rhythm and flow. And obviously, it's such a huge game against Leicester in midweek. Uh, so hopefully, this is uh, this will give them confidence and they can put in a a better collective performance. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the game against Leicester. You know, partly going to be like a really good test to see exactly where we're at uh, with this Norwich side. And I think it's a great opportunity to to show sort of our best side as well, potentially. Leicester, as good, as clinical as they were against Southampton on Friday night, I watched maybe about an hour of that game in total, I would say. And I can't say that I was massively impressed by them in that time. I mean, a lot of their goals were basically them pouncing on horrific errors from Southampton. But they were also making a lot of errors themselves. I mean, that game could have been 3-3 at halftime, could have been 6-3. I mean, it, it was just a chaos. It was such a strange game. It was like basically two sides that were still sort of hung over from get being relegated from the Premier League and just couldn't stop making the kind of mistakes that, that sent them down in the first place. So as long as Norwich sort of stay as organised as generally we have been this season uh, and keep that element and, and look to sort of pounce on on the moments where Leicester perhaps get a bit sloppy because I know that there's a sort of a, a general feeling that they could run away with the league but I don't think they've been quite as convincing as maybe their results have suggested from what I've heard generally. So yeah, it's going to be a very interesting test. Great stuff. Adam, thanks very much and thank you for listening to the Norwich City Tactics Podcast. Please subscribe to whichever platform you're listening to us on. 